This morning, I hope your Bibles are already open to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be going through verses 3 through 10, I hope. I cleared my throat because I don't know if I'll make it. I could spend hours on the very, on verse 3. I mean, it's, it's so much there. And I'll tell you why. It's because I had a little bit of trouble getting a hold of it myself. And so I got a little bit of help from John MacArthur. I, I, I don't mind admitting that. And uh, help outline it a little bit for me. And, uh, but, but I want, we're going to see some great things. And, and, and in this passage, we learn, and, and by the way, all the worship music this morning, we're, we didn't quit worshiping just because we opened the Word. This is part of worship, right? I hope you understand that. Number one, this isn't a service. This is a celebration. This is where we celebrate the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, and He's invaded our lives and saved us and made us saints. And every week we have Easter. Every week we celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive. And guess what? You can check back next week and he'll still be alive. Some of us may not be, but he will be. At least speaking in human terms. So, so this is a celebration. Service is when you leave here and start doing something about what God told you today. That's when you're serving. You're not serving here. You're worshiping. You're innocent, you are. You're worshiping God. But anyway, what I want to say is that music... Man, today, uh, uh, the words of what we were singing really fit into the sermon, but that's not really a wonder, because when everybody's talking about Jesus, we're going to overlap, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> okay, good. So I hope you'll pay attention to the words of the songs, because we sing some good songs around here. And so we're going to be in Ephesians uh, 1, 3 through 10, and in here it talks about the fact of how God is the only one to be celebrated. God is the only one to be worshipped. That's why we call it a celebration, is because we came to celebrate who God is and what He's done for us. And so Ephesians is laying down in the first three chapters, as I told you, a theological understanding and foundation for why we do what we do as a church. All churches ought to be doing the same thing. You can say it in different ways, but, but we all ought to be doing the same thing. And if, if I can boil it down to two words, there's a lot involved but boil down two words, we ought to be leading people to Christ and teaching those who are saved how to look like Christ. Right? We call that evangelism and edification. Or soul winning and discipleship. You can use a bunch of different words, but that's what it boils down to. And we do that individually and we do that as a body together. And, and so all of us are supposed to be involved in that. But why are we doing that? What gives us the, the power, the basis, the right, the, the understanding to do that? And that's what Ephesians chapters 1 through 3 are all about. Paul is laying down a groundwork, so in chapter 4 he starts telling us what to do with it. And so I will hope that we'll see that as we go forward. And so this is the very beginning of him beginning that explanation. And he's laying down for us today how that God has saved us and made us his children. How we've been adopted into his family. Yesterday... We were downtown. My, my daughter is here with us today. My, my middle child, my second daughter, uh, Cameron, and she's here on the front row with her mom. And we're glad she's here. So she wanted us to go downtown. So we went downtown, and we were looking around. And we heard people chanting in a dis- distance. And, and so my wife and daughter did not want me to run into protesters because <laughs> I don't know why. You can guess. And I didn't know what it was all about. I didn't realize it was protest day because uh, the government's defunding the murderous organization Planned Parenthood. Uh, because the killing of an unborn is murder. Now, guess what? There may be some ladies in this room right now who've had that tragic experience in their life. I do not take that lightly. I understand. At, whether out of ignorance, misunderstanding, 
or even sheer disobedience. And here's what I know. Ladies have been through that. Never get over it. Don't listen to what news tells you. They never get over it. And so the grace of God is sufficient to forgive and to make you a brand new creature in Christ and to, for you to go on. And so I'm thankful for that. So I'm, I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at, at Satan for, for making people think that that's an okay thing. Uh, to slaughter our unborn. 4,000 children today in America will die. We have slaughtered generations of Americans in the name of convenience. And make no mistake about it, that's all it is. So anyway, they were all over. I didn't know that. We got home, I started reading the news. Oh, wow. (laughs) Actually, we were downtown and and two people, I think, went by and I saw their signs. I know that was ugly, I shouldn't have said that. (laughs) And I saw their signs, you know, don't defund Planned Parenthood. And I felt a hand grab me and drag me away. So I don't know <laughs> what was happening. Uh, I don't know why people think I'm bad like that. But I just... <laughs> but anyway, you know, there are families, and I know this, that would love to adopt those babies that are being killed. And in fact, if, if we're not willing to do that, if we're not willing to support that young lady or that woman that's in a crisis and trouble, that seem to have an option, if we're not willing to support her, love her, pray for her, help her to go through that pregnancy, deliver that baby, and then adopt and care for that baby, then we might not ought to be yelling about it. That's what we ought to be doing. Here's the great news. God's adopted us. And we're going to look at that word in a little bit. The great news in this passage is God's adopted us. He's made us his children. But that's not something you did. That's something he did. We're in the orphanage of sin without any hope. And God came in and he took us out and he adopted us. That is awesome news. And he's awesome in this place. Amen? And he is our holy father. Abba, daddy, father. Not just father, but daddy, father. So that he loves us that much. Would you stand with me and we'll read God's word here. And uh, really get into the meat of the text. Beginning of verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons. Through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Indeed, Lord, you spoke to us just as we read your word. You gave us your truth. Lord, I pray that uh, the comments that I'll make, Lord, would be acceptable in your sight. The meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth. Lord, as I attempt to, to understand and explain what you were telling us in this passage. Lord, may I do so faithfully. And Lord, I pray that the hearer will hear from your spirit, not just from me, Lord but that your spirit would speak truth into their heart and that as that truth echoes with the Holy Spirit living in them, that they will be quick to obey. God, today, give us your mercy, give us your grace to open our eyes of understanding. We can behold the wonderful things written in your word. For Lord, your words are life, your words are truth, 
and all else. Lord, let God be true and every man a liar. And Lord, may your word speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Y'all can sit down if you want to. If you can't stand it, you can stand up. Today I'm talking about that we are chosen to be united. We, we, we're thinking about this, this theme of, of the power of one. And that we are a united church. We're a united body. And we were chosen to be a united body. Do you, do you understand? Uh, I, I love, I, I heard uh, Brother Justin say this a couple weeks ago in Sunday school. And I've been saying it ever since, Brother Justin. Thank you. Did, did it ever occur to you? Nothing ever occurred to God? This isn't an afterthought. God didn't go, oh man, that didn't work. Now what am I going to do? He never did that. In fact, in this passage, it says he had this plan from before the foundation. It wasn't like he made Adam and Adam messed up. And he went, oh, no, now what do I do? And so he got down to Noah and he said, hey, build an ark and we'll start over. And then Noah, first thing out the chute, he sends. And, oh, now what do I do? And, well, I'll give him the law. Well, that didn't work. Now what do I do? Well, I'll just go myself. That's how a lot of people preach the gospel. That's not the gospel. The gospel is God had a plan from the beginning. He had plan A, and if plan A don't work, he'll fall back on plan A. God's going to guarantee plan A works because he's God, right? Can God do wrong? No, because he made it all, and anything he does is right. Okay, good. But here's the good news. God told us that everything he does for us is good. He desires our good more than we desire our own good. I mean, we'll go out and destroy our life, living in a way that will destroy our body and soul and mind and everything else. But God wants to give us life and health and peace. He wants us to be whole in Him. And He brought us together in a body to live together in fellowship and unity so that we could push and press and, and exhort and encourage one another to love and to good works. So we'll be a strong body together working for the glorious praise and glory of our God. Amen? So that's where Paul's starting here in Ephesians. That's what he, he's trying to tell. So I want you to take that home with you, that phrase, God chose you before he created the world, to, have, uh, to love you, redeem you, and unite you. He chose you from before he created the world to love you, to redeem you, unite you. God loved you before you were born. He said to Jeremiah, before you were in your mother's womb, I knew you, and I ordained you a prophet to the nations. You are not an accident. That's why abortion's always wrong. You say, what about rape and incest? That ain't the baby's fault. I know it's tragic and very difficult for the woman. And some women out there right now going, you're a man. Don't you dare even talk about that. I know, I get it. But it's not the baby's fault. Did you know there's some children of incest and rape that have gone on to preach the gospel and do great things for our country? Yeah, because God can redeem anything. And so I just want you to understand that. Sorry, I was talking about abortion. I came back to it. But, but here's what I want you to see first. That God, we are united to show God's purpose in Christ. We are united together to show God's purpose in Christ. What was he all about? And notice he has blessed us in all and with all of heaven. That, that first verse just kind of, as I read it, bless God, bless me, bless it. But let's just slow it down so we can see it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. There are six things we see there. First of all, and this is what I got from John MacArthur. First we see the blessed one is God. We are called on to bless God, to honor Him for what He's done. Now, let me ask you a, a question, just put it in perspective. If God had never saved you, would he be worthy of honor and praise and glory and, and thankfulness? 
Yeah, because he's God. He didn't have to save you for him to be worthy. He is worthy. The fact that he saved us makes us aware of how worthy he is. Right? But he is worthy without saving us. But then he saved us. And so we as his people, it, you know, it's no wonder lost people act lost. But Christians ought to act saved, right? <clears throat> we ought to act like we know God. We ought to bless God with everything we got. We ought to thank him every day we get up. Every morning when your eyes open is a, is a day. It's not a better day. The better day is going to be when my eyes open and I'm in heaven. But every day my eyes open here is a day that I can serve God and I have an opportunity to honor him and praise him and see uh, him use my life to hopefully bring other people into the faith. And so the blessed one <coughs> uh, is God. But guess what? The blesser is God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ. How did he bless us? Because he saved us. So if he blessed us, will I return that blessing to him? Y'all following that? Let me ask you something. How many of y'all think your money and houses belong to you? Number one, they probably belong to the bank, but (laughs) no, they belong to God. Because you didn't create the trees that made the frame or the rocks that made the sheetrock or the or that made the nails that holds your house together. Right? That's a creation of God. Now, we got a whole system where people make money getting it, digging it, cutting it, shaving it. Got a whole system of putting it in a store and selling it. Got a whole system of people putting it together in a certain way to build a house. And he's given us help and strength in order to work to earn money to buy it or to make it. But it originated with God, and guess what? It's going to fall apart and return to God. <laughs> right? So is your body. It was created by God out of the dust of the earth, and it will return to that until he raises it up and changes it to give us a glorified body that we can live forever with him because this body can't take heaven. Heaven's too awesome for this body. This body can't make it there. So it's got to be planted in the ground so my soul can be with him and one day I'll raise up this body, change it. So how can God do that? It's a little thing called DNA. People say, what if somebody burns up in a house? What happens if somebody drowns at the bottom of the ocean? You know, in which we know they're not there anymore, but you know what I mean said, hey, God knows everybody's DNA code. Not only can he remake you, he can remake you better. Just like $6 million man for us older people. <laughs> Young people going, six, what, what did he just say? I mean, number one, $6 million wouldn't be that much. It'd be $6 billion man today, I guess. <laughs> Government programs, you know. But uh, <laughs> we can build him stronger, faster, better. God can do the same thing. That's what he'll do one day. And he'll reunite that body with that soul. That's the day we look forward to being in eternity with him forever. But when to, by, me to be absent with the body, to be ple- present with the Lord. And I have that confidence because he's blessed me in Christ Jesus. Who put on a body of flesh that would deteriorate and die and age. And he lived a sinless life and died in my place on a cross so I could go to heaven. In case you never heard that before, that's the gospel. Because your life deserved death because you had a sinful life. And the punishment for any sin, no matter how big, is death. But God took that punishment on himself. And in case you weren't paying attention before the foundation of the world, yet he laid the foundation of the world, created the known universe, knowing everything that he would do. That's how vast the love of God is, as we sang last week. 
that before he made the first thing, he knew the last thing that he would do for us. And Jesus died on a cross, was buried and rose again that you and I could be saved. He has blessed us in Christ already. We are the blessed ones, but look at the blessing. He's giving us all things that are spiritual. This word here generally refers <coughs> uh, and means for us to think about the Holy Spirit. But it's more than just God the Holy Spirit, even though he's more than enough. But if God the Holy Spirit lives in you... And, and has identified himself with us, that he has identified us in Christ and put Christ in us, we are so together, we are now one with him, then what are we denied in heaven? Nothing. Now I know there are people out there that take that and think that they, you know, they want you to live your best life now. And if you're living your best life now, you're going to hell, because this is not heaven. So if I got a big, nice house and an expensive car and boats and yachts and everything else in the world, whoop-dee-doo. But there's some people out there preaching that if you're walking with God and you're honoring God, God's going to bless you, He's going to give you riches. And You know, some people He will, but He gives it to them so they'll give it away. He doesn't give it to us just to consume it upon ourselves. He gives it to us for the furtherance of the gospel. Amen? And so don't twist this around and go, oh, God's blessed me with everything and I can be healthy, wealthy, and wise and rich and prosperous and all that. No, all spiritual things are ours. And if our soul is right, what does it matter about this body? Jesus said, don't fear him who can destroy the body, but fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. You see, so the comforts of this world are nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed. Isn't that what Paul said? After he made a list of all the suffering he'd been through, he said, but this present suffering is not worthy to be considered in the light of what's going to be revealed, in the light of the glory of knowing Christ. And so, but the, the cool thing is, in Christ, we've talked about already, come boldly to the throne of grace, enter his presence, Abba, Father. He's our Father, just as Jesus prayed, Father. So we pray, Father. On earth, well, we'll come to that in a minute. I'm going to stop there because I was about to get into adoption. I'm going to come back to adoption. But we are the blessed ones with all things spiritual. They're already ours. They're already yours. You don't have to wait for them. Look at the blessed, blessing location. In the heavenly places. We're already there. We're already seated with Christ in heaven. We're already there in God's mind and eye. God doesn't see history from beginning to end. He sees it from end to end. He sees the whole thing. At one time, he sees the end from the beginning. He knows it all and we're already there. As I said, just as Jesus died on a cross before the foundation of the world in the mind of God, so he saved you then as well. I know that's a little deep. We'll get to it a little bit. But notice the blessing agent who blessed us in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you don't have any spiritual blessing. And if you are in Christ, you have all spiritual blessing. That's why we have to be identified with Christ in two ways. In his death, he died for us. You see, I deserve to die. I know I'm preaching the gospel to most of you who claim to know this. But, but I deserve death because I'd sin myself. <coughs> Excuse me. The Bible teaches in Romans when Adam sinned, sin passed upon all men for all of sin. And we know medically that, that uh, there is a truth that God reveals to us medically that now we understand it. And that is the blood of the baby in the womb and the blood of the mother never mix. That's why before we could do DNA testing, 
they would do paternity testing by checking the blood of the baby and the blood of the father. And if there was a match, then very possibly that guy could be the father. Because the blood comes from dad. Did y'all know that? And it never mixes with the mother's blood. In fact, that'd be death to the baby. There is a thin wall separating the this blood vessel from this blood vessel in the umbilical cord. And as the mom sends oxygen and nutrition through the umbilical, through the blood system to that umbilical cord, so the blood of the baby is passing on the other side. And it's a, a wall that will allow nutrition and oxygen through, but not the blood itself. So that the baby can survive in the womb, in vitro, in the womb. I mean, in the womb. Do y'all know that? It's a picture God made. That if we've got the blood of Adam, we are lost. And in Romans 5 says, but he took out that stony heart. Well, it tells us in the the prophets. He took out our stony heart and he put in us a heart of flesh. That he gave us a new heart. If any man be in Christ, he's a brand new creation. Got a new daddy. Randolph Melrose is no longer my daddy. God is my daddy. You follow me? I was born to the McCarters, to Randolph Melrose McCarter. Son of Joseph McCarter. From Spartanburg, South Carolina. I was born in Charleston, South Carolina on July 21, 1959. At 5.18 in the morning, weighing 8.15. Yeah, I was a big baby. I don't know, somewhere I lost weight, but I was a big baby. (laughs) And I was born in sin, needing a Savior. But in June of 1968, Jesus came into my life. And I changed families. I entered the family of God. I became his son, his child. I belonged to him. He made me his. And listen, parents on earth adopt children and love them like their own. But can you imagine the love of the father that adopts us and not only loves us like his own, he has the power to make us his own, to change us. And so we were, we were in sin because we had inherited sin from our father. But Jesus died to forgive us of our sin. And notice what it goes on to say in verse 2. Uh, or, or not verse 2, but verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Holy and blameless. Separated, changed, made different. To be his. This is amazing. That word blessed or blessing, it, it, it comes from a word that we get the word eulogy. In Genesis 14, Melchizedek praises God Most High. But in Revelation 5, 13, if you want to look in Revelation, listen to what it says uh, uh, there. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. You see, God has blessed us. He has given us what we need. In James, God is our blesser. Every good and perfect gift has come from the Father. In Galatians 3, uh, as we think about that we are the blessed ones, it says everything good that we have came from Him. And, And as we think about what the blessing is, have you ever thought about we ask God for stuff we already have? We ask God for love. Romans 5, 5 says He already loves us. We ask God for peace, John 14, 27. Jesus said, my peace I give you. We ask for joy, John 15, 11 says, but you will have joy. 
We, are, we already have these things. These, most of them are part of the fruit of the Spirit. We ask God for strength to endure. And Philippians says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He already has strengthened us. You see, everything we need according to 2 Peter 1.3 and Colossians 2.10, we already have. You can write those references down, look at them later. I, I don't want to go too long here. But in 2 Peter 1, 3 and Colossians 2, 10, we already have them. And it's in the supernatural realm. We are already heirs of God, according to Romans 8, 16 through 17. And so we are holy and blameless before him because in love, he loved us and predestined us for adoption as sons through Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. And somebody out there is going, you know, I've heard that word predestination. I don't understand it. Me either. Because it is two great realities that we in our human mind cannot reconcile. And here are those two great realities. God's God and he's going to do what he wants to do. And if you think God has lost one little slip of power, you think some man's going to change his will, you're crazy. I feel sorry for you because you don't have a God that is God. you got a God that you thought of. On the other side of the thing, God calls us to be responsible for our actions, reactions, thoughts. We are responsible to him. And so if God calls, we have to respond. You say, well, where, what, how does that meet? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody can explain that in a good way that is understandable to everybody. You just can't. So I'm not here to try to preach a doctrine that man tries to get a grip on. That would be like trying to explain the Trinity. We try to explain the Trinity and the best explanation ever given falls far short. Because you can't understand the Trinity. If you could, you'd be in the Trinity. God's so big, you can't grasp him. So he had to become a baby just so you could get to know him. So after you die and get to be with him, you might understand a little better. Because I'm not sure we'll ever get a full grip on this. But here's what I do know, that if you're saved, God loved you from before the foundation of the world to save you. And God has called us to himself that we might be heirs of his promise. And so, God has purposed for us to be holy and blameless. Not even to be accused by others. Secondly, God's united us to experience his salvation in Christ. In verses 5 through 8, together we, we, we experience this as a church. He predestined us for the adoption of sons through Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he's blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. You need to hold on to that. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. God has called us to know him, but at the cost of shedding his blood. We have redemption. We've been redeemed through his blood. That word redemption, there are two words used for redemption. This is a word that means you were in the marketplace and you were a slave, but somebody was going to sell you. You're going to be sold into slavery. The Roman Empire had millions of slaves, literally. They, they would conquer nations. They would enslave those nations. Slavery has been going on since the beginning of the world. and still going on today. Uh, some of our teenagers are wearing a shirt around here. and I asked them what it meant. And, and, and they, they're doing it uh, to help raise awareness and support for the sex slave industry that's going on in the world to, to, to combat that. That's a huge thing now. 
is going on around the world. Slavery still exists. Muslims own slaves, by the way, today. Just, just keeping it clear. But here's the deal. You are a slave. The Bible says you're a slave to sin. And you're on the marketplace. And the word used here, when a slave was on the marketplace, if you loved that person or that was your family, or just if you had a big old generous heart, you would go buy them out of slave and, and to be your slave. And then you could set them free so they could never be sold again. That's what the Greek word here means. That Jesus came to the marketplace that we were in sin, we owed a debt to God we couldn't pay. Since we couldn't pay, we were placed into slavery, slavery to sin. Jesus paid that price by being sinless, taking my sin on him, according to 2 Corinthians, where it says, he who knew no sin became sin on my behalf, or our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He purchased us out of slavery, set us free. Now we are his slave. And while we're his slave, we're free, but we're still his slave. And I don't understand that completely either, but we're free, but we're the slave of God. You're not free to do what you want to do. You're, you have now the power to do what you ought to do. That's how you're a slave of God and free at the same time. It's not a freedom to do whatever you feel like. It's a freedom to do what God's called you to do. Because before, when you were a slave to sin, you didn't want to do what God wanted you to do. That's why he loved you. That's why he called you out of the marketplace. That's why he bought you. That's why he saved you, so you would do what he wanted you to do. And so the Bible here is telling us so that we could be adopted as sons according to the riches of his grace which he lavished us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose set forth in Christ. We've been adopted to be sons. We've been adopted to show his grace. And we've been adopted so that when he lavishes his grace on, it, on us, we can be example to others. Notice that. It says we have the redemption through his blood. That's the price of buying us out of the marketplace. The forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of his grace. God had enough money to buy us all out of the marketplace. Right? His grace is rich enough to do that. And he lavishes that on us in wisdom and insight. He has lavished his grace on us. How come after you say, do you worry about it so much? Did God really get that? Did God really buy me? I'll tell you why you worry about it, because you think it was up to you. It's not up to you. Salvation began with God and it will end with God, according to Hebrews 12, in case you don't believe this passage. Jesus, the author. Thank you. And in Philippians, he that began a good work, Exactly. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believed on him would have temporary life. Oh, everlasting life. You weren't saved to be lost. You were saved to be kept. And you're going to always be saved. And his grace is more than enough for you. He lavishes it on you. He covers you in it. He pours it all over you. I don't know if you ever painted a house or a room. And you know you're paying $50 a gallon for that paint. I don't know if it's that much. It might be a little less, a little more, but around that. $30 a gallon, we'll say. And you get down, you got one square foot, and you are out of paint. <laughs> so you go back to every tray, every bucket you ever had, and you're trying to scrape enough paint out of there just so you can finish that room. Well, honey, hang a picture there, okay? Because I can't quite get it. Because I don't want to go spend another $30 for a gallon to cover that one square foot. I just can't handle that. I know, I'm being silly. Some of y'all been there because I, I can see it. 
And we think that's how God is. Oh, well, I might have enough for you. I don't know. I might call you my child. I might, I might, well, I'll let you come inside. But I don't know if I'm going to adopt you. No! He loved you. He brought you in. He calls you his own. He makes you his own. He made you brand new just so you could be his own. And he loves you and he lavishes grace on you so that you can act like you belong to that family. My dad died before my son was born. And I've just told stories about my dad a lot. Uh, I, I don't know how much I've said here. My dad has sixth grade education, smartest man I ever knew. And uh, loved God. I mean, he loved God like nobody loves God. I mean, he just loved God. And he read his Bible and he got up at five in the morning. It took him five minutes to walk to work. He'd get up at five o'clock in the morning and read his Bible. He didn't have to be to work at eight o'clock. He'd leave ten minutes to eight and walk in to his job by, you know, on time. Because he'd been reading his Bible. And then at night, he would read his Bible and pray before he went to bed. And, and when I say that, when I say I read my Bible, I can read it pretty fast. My dad couldn't. It took him a little bit. He wasn't a great reader. He was, he, he, but he loved God, man. Anything that God wanted him to do, he'd do it. The church, he was always there. He's always active. So I told stories about my dad. And I didn't tell him everything. And sometimes I'll see my son do something. I go, man, that's just like my dad. That is exactly like my dad. And then, you know, eventually I started saying, you know, Papa used to say things like that. Papa used to do things like that. So much so, my son now identifies with my dad and he never met him. I mean, he, 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 he even wrote a paper one time in high school about, I never met my grandfather, but I've been told. I act like him, I think like him, I do things like him. I remember when I first grew a mustache, that was a great day. Because I didn't think I could. <laughs> I've got a very sparse beard. It's a summer beard. Summer over here and summer over there. But <laughs> So this is the only spot that grows consistently. So that's where I'm growing it. Because only two people in the world can't grow beards. Women and children. <laughs> and I promise you, I am neither. But I grew this little mustache back when I was in my 20s. And my aunt, my dad's sister who had to raise him because his mom died in childbirth when he was a kid. Looked at me and said, you look like our father. I said, what? Because I'd seen the old pictures. I said, I thought, my mom said, I thought his mustache was black. I said, well, we didn't have color cameras back then, Kate. His mustache was red. What are you driving at? Family traits get passed on physically, don't they? Sometimes we even have some attitudes and actions that kind of match who we were born to. So the question is, who were you born to? If you were born to him, maybe we ought to start acting like. Maybe we ought to start loving people to the point, even when they're hanging you on a cross, you say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Maybe when you pick Judas knowing he's going to betray you and you never treat him any less than you treated the other 11. Maybe that's what God intends for us. To love people who are unlovely. To love people who maybe they're just ignorant. They don't know any better. And they're down and out and they're suffering and hurting. And God calls us to love them and bring the message of the gospel so that whoever they were born to, they can get adopted into a new family. That can make a big difference in their life. Isn't that what God called us to do and to be? You see, we were united to experience this salvation and to be lavished with forgiveness. God loves us so much, he lavishes 
grace and forgiveness on this church at Calvary. This part of the body. He gives us more than we need to do what he wants. You mean we don't have to beg him for strength? We don't have to beg him for resources? You mean he actually wants to be glorified through us? Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Why don't we go to God and instead of begging him to do something that he's already doing and wants to do, we say, God, forgive us for being disobedient. We want to do what you want us to do. And suddenly getting into the will of God and the flow of God His grace will be enough. His power will be enough. His resources will be enough. I'm not saying you won't face hard times. Because if you didn't face hard times, you'd still look like you. It's the hard times that that sands off and knocks off the parts that don't look like Jesus. Right? So sometimes he does that just so that we'll cry out to him even more. So that we will understand our dependency on him. We'll understand how much he's done for us. But friend, I promise you, if instead of asking God to bless what we thought of, we say, God, show us what you thought of and help us to do it. Lord, give us courage. Give us boldness to not listen to the threats of this world, but to preach the gospel fearlessly. Isn't that what Peter and John went back and prayed once they got out of prison? Man, one of us get in prison, we start praying, Oh, Lord, they're persecuting us in America now. And the rest of the world goes, so? Because they're already being persecuted. We're the only nation where we still have a a modicum of freedom. Don't waste it. Use it. And then we start whining. Well, we're just going to boycott them because they're not playing like Christians ought to play. They're not Christians. They're not going to play like Christians supposed to play. They're lost. Why do you want them to act that way? Quit boycotting them. Go tell them about Jesus. And if you tell them about Jesus, they get saved. They'll start acting the way they're supposed to. Hopefully, because there are people in church supposed to act that way. Don't. But anyway, they'll start acting more like Christ if we bring them the gospel. That's why he lavishes his grace on us so that we can be an example and a communicator of the gospel to the world. Amen. And then thirdly, I know. I said I was going to be done. United to be in Christ's body. Look at verses 9 and 10. I've read them a couple of times. He lavished all this on us, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose that he set forth in Christ. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite how many things? How much? What's the Greek word for all mean? Thank you. All means all. That's all all means. To unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. In whom are they united? In him, see the verse, y'all looking at me, look at the verse, verse 10. In whom are they united? Who's him? Jesus, right, Jesus Christ. It's in him they're united. We are given wisdom and insight. We are given God's plan. They did not understand. They thought that God was going to work through a race of people or a, a, a particular... The Jewish people, we call that a race. I'll just keep using common language. We, we thought God was going to, it's through them. You've got to be a Jew to be saved. We come and Jesus dies and buried and rose again. And Paul, being the uber Jew, God saves him so he could explain to the rest of the Jews, you don't have to be Jewish to be saved. You've got to be in Christ to be saved. And of all men, Jews and Gentiles, he's making one people. And in all things in the world, they are all being united in Christ. Go home and read Psalm 2. 
That all the nations will be made his footstool. That he's trying to redeem the whole world. Psalm 2 is the missionary prayer. It all belongs to God and he is at work redeeming the nations to himself. And if you want to know where God's at work, it is, in the, it is in taking the gospel to the ends of this earth. That every tongue and every tribe and every nation can hear the name of Jesus. Here's the problem. There are billions of people on this earth that don't have the opportunity. They don't even have access to the name of Jesus. And that's where we're called to go. That's what we're called to do. To take the gospel there and in Christ, look at that, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him. Things in heaven and on earth. In the fullness of time. You know we've been in the latter days since Jesus left, right? It's not, we say, well, you know, we're in the last times. We've been in the last times since Jesus left. You say, well, it's been 2,000 years. That's only a couple days to God. That's not even a long weekend yet. He's coming back. Be patient. Don't worry about it. Here's the good news. If he comes back before you die, you're going to see him. He'll come back for in your lifetime. Because even if he don't come back for all of us, you're going to be with him. Right? Come on, y'all. And so, he wants us to live in unity. And this is the plan for the fullness of time. You can't understand God's will outside of the church. That's why I said God has plan A, and if plan A fails, he's going to fall back on plan A. He's going to make plan A work. The church is the plan for the fullness of time. That in the church, Jesus being the head, all things are brought in unity in him. So that we are neither bond nor free. We are neither this nationality or that nationality. We're not male or female. We're not this race or that race. We are either saved or lost. Period. That's it. We're saved or we're lost. That's the two lists. And if we're in the church, he saved us. He chose us to unite us together in love and grace and forgiveness and in mercy. For what purpose? To bless the body of Christ. Did you know that God saved you to bless Calvary? If you're a member. If you're not a member, you ought to join today. Let's get that out of the way. I understand a bunch of y'all don't know if you're members or not. Have you been through new members class here? If you say no, you ain't a member. Okay, so I expect about 100 people to come join this morning. Anyway, I'm kidding. No, I'm not. Here's some things you could do. God called you to bless Calvary, to strengthen this body, to do the work of leading the nations to the Lord. You with me? And of discipling those who've already been led to the Lord. That's kind of what we do locally. So that the discipled ones will go make disciples in all the world. See, God's going to call some of y'all's children to the mission field. God's going to call some of you to the mission field. God's going to call some of you to be pastors and leaders in churches. This is the training ground for that. We don't build seminaries to train workers. We build seminaries to educate them. But we train them in the church. Okay, get that straight. But here's some things you can do. I, want, I really want to challenge you to do this. Go to that last slide. Make a list this week. And every day write down one thing that reveals the difference God is making in you because he's made you holy and blameless. You know what? I wanted to open and look at that thing on the web, but I'm holy. Can't do that. I wanted to... They gave me too much cash back. 
money refund when I paid my bill. I know none of y'all use cash anymore, but they gave me too much change at Walmart. I can't keep that. I got to go back and love now. Because I'm holy and I'm blameless. My coworker gets on my last nerve. And I see that protester in the street, I'm just going to knock them out. But I can't because I'm holy and I'm blameless. I don't feel like reading a Bible story to my children tonight. But I have to because I'm training them. And I want to be an example to them that I'm holy and I'm blameless. That guy sitting on the other side of the auditorium from me 20 years ago, man, he did something and I just don't like it. You can't live with a grudge because he wants you to be. Every day, write something down. I hope you understand what I'm after here. Because Jesus saved you, it ought to make a difference in your life. So every day, just, just write it down. Secondly, write a second list of thankfulness that you're holy and blameless. Make a separate list of thankfulness Because of the lavish grace that God's put on you that redeemed you. When you do yell at that guy, cut you off in traffic, or he's going 40 and a 55 in front of you, and you can't get around him, and you're late to work. And you lose it. Thank you, God, you forgive me even when I mess it up. Thank you that you gave me the grace to witness. Thank you you gave me the power to act right. Thank you, Lord, that uh, I was doing so good, and then I got up and I messed up. Thank you, Lord, that you have forgiveness and grace for me to go on now. I can get up and keep moving. Do you see a prayer list developing here where you can be thankful? And then take all of that knowledge about yourself that you're discovering. And the third thing I want you to do is at least three times this week. Bless a member of Calvary to strengthen this body. To exhort each other to love and to good works. Go find somebody you don't even know. I've found out a lot of y'all don't know each other. That's not unusual. That's not, that's not weird. It's not a bad thing. You can only be close to about 100 people, 60 people actually. You can only be close to about 60 people. That's the right statistic. Pastor can only take care personally of about 100. But you can only have close relationship, be friends with, kind of keep up with about 60 people. You know, don't count Facebook because you're not keeping up with anybody. You're just reading gossip. Remember, face your problems. Don't Facebook them. (laughs) Here's what I'm saying. You know about 60 people. Go find somebody that you see sitting around here that you don't know. Maybe a young couple with some kids. I started to say pull out a 20, but that won't cut it anymore. Pull out a 50 and give it to them and say, Hey, y'all need a break. Go out to eat. Or here's my name and number. We're grandparents and our grandkids don't live near us. We'd love to babysit your children sometime. You can check with Pastor Bobby. I'm not weird. Here's my name. You can go ask him. He'll vouch for me. I'm okay. And then we'll pay for your dinner and y'all go out on a date. Call a friend you know struggle and say, man, I know you're in a struggle, but God loves you and I love you and I want to pray with you. You see, all this stuff you're learning about yourself, start applying it for other people. Start saying, man, listen, God's been showing me Stuff about me, and I'm so thankful that he loved me even when I was unlovely. Saved me when I wasn't worth saving, and made me into his child and changed my life. And I want to bless you somehow. And figure something out. Y'all are creative, you can figure it out. 
do something. Just be nice to each other. How about that? Let's just start there. But intentionally do it. And don't make a list so you can go, well, look what I did. Do it so you're aware you're doing it. You know why we write stuff down? Because you forget you did it. You go, I had a conversation with a pastor. I looked at the records and I told him, I said, you know, you haven't baptized anybody in six months. They said, yeah, we have. I said, no, you haven't. They went back to, they called the church because he didn't believe me. I'd looked at his records. I already knew. Call said, how many people we baptized this year? Say, what? They didn't know they hadn't baptized anybody because they weren't paying attention. Writing it down makes you pay attention. Okay, so it's not a bragging list. That's just between you and God. But write it down so you know you did it. And do at least three. You say, why didn't you do it every day? Because y'all, I'm hoping you'll do three. Maybe you do three and you get in the habit and do it every day. That'd be great. Maybe that'll become your lifestyle to actually act like Jesus. I hope it becomes mine. Hope it becomes yours. Because we were chosen in Christ to be holy and blameless and united in his love as a church.